Faith at the Fringe, a Sanctuary First podcast series. Uncovering God in the creative arts. At the biggest international arts festival in the world, Sanctuary First stops to ask, where does faith and art meet? Welcome to Faith at the Fringe, a Sanctuary First podcast series seeking to engage with creatives who are at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and seeking to ask, where is God? Where can we connect with faith at the Fringe? And today, I'm Albert Bogle today, (laughs) and uh, I'm joined with uh, my, my colleague, Hannah Sanderson. And together, we are hoping to have a really good conversation with our guest, Fiona Stewart. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Fiona is a writer and a performer and the founder of Foolproof um, Creative Arts. And uh, we're hoping to just find out more about what Foolproof is all about and also about your work as a performer and especially what you're doing in The Fringe. So let's start off with the first question. Tell me a little bit about Foolproof. Okay. Okay. How long have we got? No. <laughs> so Foolproof started off as an idea in my head and so I trained well I was a youth worker then I trained as an actor and um, God had put on my heart he took me down south to train and I I was working for an organization down in in the south coast of England and uh, he he put a real vision in my heart actually for Christian drama Christian theater um, and actually gave me the name foolproof and the the name is um, it's got multiple layers to it. So obviously foolproof is something that works. Um, but I'm really interested in foolishness. I'm really interested in those verses in 1 Corinthians that talk about how God takes foolish things and he uses them to shame the wise. So God often takes things that are apparently silly, apparently weak, apparently vulnerable, the things that are dismissed, and actually he uses them really powerfully. So the fool is of interest to me. And, and the fool, if you if you know anything about um, your kind of, well, I don't, I'm making this up, by the way, but... Medieval court history. Oh, right? I remember it well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Shakespeare and so on. The fool is often the one in in Shakespeare who can speak the truth. So so in 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 Lear, for example, the fool will say things that that he can get away with that speak truth to power. And and often the fool is the one who doesn't lose his head <laughs> when anyone else saying something to the king would. So the fool is interesting to me. And and there's also obviously something about proof. So the proof of the gospel. Oh, but so the many gospel one. It's so it's multi layered, isn't oh. it? Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> sometimes people go, "What's your organisation?" Is that F U L L? So it's so it's fool as in the fool. It's proof as in proof, and it's also foolproof because it works. So yeah, I had this this idea, and initially it was going to be a Christian theatre company, kind of along the model of places, uh, companies like Riding Lights or Salt Mine. People will be familiar. A lot of these companies come to Edinburgh actually during the fringe, and I thought, well, I'll come back to Scotland and I'll set up this Christian theatre company, and it you know it'll fly. It'll be great. It was a lot harder than that to, to kind of get people on board with that, to get funding. Maybe we'll, we might talk about that later, <laughs> about how you get people to fund the arts. Um, and and, and so, so, so since I started it in 2009, 2008, 2009, it's been a bit of a journey. So we've kind of expanded out beyond theatre um, because we were connected to a venue in Edinburgh, which some people might remember, The Lot. Do you remember The Lot? Yes, I do. So Foolproof kind of came in and was part of The Lot at one point. So that was a music venue and also had people involved in kind of art activities with exhibitions and so on. So we widened our reach. um, And sadly, The Lot closed uh, back in 2010 or 2011. And at that point, we we kept the charity going and we, we... 
I say we, I and the, the folks who were around it as trustees, we, we decided we'd, we'd keep that going and we would change the name to Foolproof and, and develop the work so that it is primarily based around theatre, but we, we also have an interest in developing artists generally. Yeah. And that's taken different routes. I've done Fringe shows. I'm not, I'm not doing one this year, but I have mm-hmm. written and performed various things at the Fringe. Um, used to do a lot of community theatre. Uh, used to do a, a, a camp in partnership with Scripture Union. So it's a, a drama camp where you put on a play in a week, Great. which is crazy, but fun. Um, and then I've kind of developed that a wee bit. And, and interestingly, things then have changed as they have for a lot of people when the pandemic hit. So I think what was happening for me is I was getting busier and busier and busier, trying to hold all the threads mm. of running this organisation together. And um, then everything just stopped. All the out and about stuff stopped. So what that then meant was that Foolproof has become a much more digital presence. So I have a a podcast, well, I I ran a podcast for a while called Foolproof Bites, which is a three-minute podcast. It's quite difficult for me to only speak for three (laughs) minutes. And that was about helping people who were having to transition digitally what they do. Um, Just recognising that over the years, you you know, you picked up some skills Mm. that you could then pass on. So I ran a podcast. I, I write quite a lot of poetry and spoken word, and I put that out in a digital format these days. And um, I guess one of the things that's been a thread throughout has been about working with other creatives. So whether that's young people who've got skills as performers and are looking to, you know, do a gap year or um, an internship or working with people who who are maybe questioning things of faith and and are around the arts, uh, walking alongside and doing some mentoring there. And that's what it is. Hard to describe it. But there's a lot of foolishness. Yeah, sounds great. A lot of yeah, foolishness, so, but so there's how, a bit of wisdom comes with that. How do you go about engaging with your team? Do, do you employ people to work with you? Or uh, do people come uh, self-employed themselves and come and work alongside you? Or is it like a is it like a, a collaboration or a, you know, a collective? I would say all of the above, Albert. As in, but as in we've, we've, we have done different things as, as, as the years have gone on. So there was a stage where... I was running a gap year, so there were people coming in and, and doing um, a year with me, learning their craft, you know, tidying the costumes as well, because that's also learning your craft. Um, a lot of them were prior to going to, to go on and train, so they might be auditioning for drama school and so on, but they would come and do a year with me. Uh, we've worked with freelancers, so yeah, worked with um, a friend of mine, Phil Todd, who's a filmmaker, uh, and Phil was an associate with us for, for a wee while. Foolproof slightly scaled back at the moment, so I'm, I'm doing it two days a week, so it's it's much more me kind of making things happen now mm-hmm. um but yeah obviously scope to do whatever wonderful do whatever well you say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah but is that a great place to be in a, a time like this to see where god's holy spirit mm-hmm. is leading and i'm certainly interested in this podcast in sanctuary first trying to connect to meet and connect with christians and non-christians who are in the arts mm-hmm. to see where to uncover where is faith in all of this? Yeah. Where is art being used yeah. to uh, express the gospel? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and of course we we know it's been expressed in films and there's some amazing films that have have the story of grace just you know sewn through them, but also in in so much of art, even sometimes when people wouldn't say they were Christian, but they're actually touching on the grace of God and ah. something that they're performing and I th- doing. I think that's true. I mean, we were talking about this before we before we started, weren't we? About um, genuinely, I think that that all art asks a question about about life or death, or you know, even if it's something that's very frothy and entertaining, 
there's something there about bringing joy to people, mm. isn't there? Mm -hmm. So on a very superficial level, it can be that. But, but I think, you know, a, a really good play or a, or a painting or a, 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 you know, a piece of music that's a kind of transcendent piece of music, it, it, it sparks something in us as human beings, doesn't it? So I, I find it quite hard to think that you could be working in the arts, professionally working in the arts, and, and not be kind of grappling with some of these questions. And, and sometimes people I know who, who wouldn't be people of faith they're thinking deeply <laughs> in a way that some of my friends who do have faith are, are, well, they're certainly not talking to me about it. I'm sure, they may be thinking deeply, you know, privately, but it's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like there's, they're walking out a, a journey of mm -hmm. asking questions, of seeking truth. Mm -hmm. You know, truth seekers, I think, is another way to describe mm. artists, you know, truth tellers. And they can sometimes be walking out that journey of these deep questions inside of them, searching for answers. And then it takes somebody else in their life, a friend or whatever, to come and, and flick that lens yes. to say, wow, that sounds to me like you're exploring faith. Yes. Um, and then they go, oh, I hadn't quite thought of it in that way, but now you've put that language on it. Yeah. I, I am. Yeah. But there is something calling from within them naturally. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads on to... Um, anybody who's been listening to these podcasts over the, these four weeks, I always ask this question. So, mm. um, you know, what do you think is the connection between creativity and faith? And I'm going to let you answer mm -hmm. that question on whichever level mm -hmm. you want to answer it on, because mm -hmm. I think there's a few different levels that could be answered. Yeah. I mean, there's about three things in there that I want, I want to come back on. Okay. Just, do you know, because I think the pandemic taught us something about creativity. People wanted to engage with creative things. Mm when they were isolated and when, when life was shifting and we didn't know where mm -hmm. we were going. That's interesting, isn't it? And I met somebody in the train this morning. So, so I was traveling through from Glasgow and just as I was getting off at Waverley, I met a friend, Sam Rowe. And Sam is an actor and a storyteller, but he works now for Bethany Christian Trust. So we're having a wee chat because he's got an exhibition on um, as we got off the train. And he said, what, what are you here to do? I said, oh, I'm going to, going to this podcast and chatting about arts. I said, in fact, Sam, what would you say? What, you know, if you could say to the, <laughs> to the world out there or something. And he said, oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? It's, you know, we're created to be creative. Creative. Created to be creative, you know. Like, yeah, it's going to be a short podcast, isn't it, Sam? <laughs> but, but that's it, isn't it? I, you know, God's given us, we're made in the image of God. We're, we're created to be like him in all his creativity. And that's there for everybody. So you don't need to be, you know, performing at the fringe or singing in opera or, you know, selling paintings for thousands of pounds. Everybody has that creative, creative urge within them. But I think, and I think maybe this is a particularly Scottish thing, Maybe, don't know. We, we, we quell that often. And it might come from somebody's told you you can't sing or, you know, you don't feel you're as good at art as somebody else at school or, or you're never given, you're, you know, you're too afraid to get up and, and perform. So you don't, so you, you squash that down and you get mm -hmm. your head down, get on with it. And, and I think we cut off a part of who we are when, mm. we, when we don't express that creativity. Uh, mm. And also I think when we are an audience participating in, allowing the art to be created mm -hmm. because uh, I know we talk about art for art's sake but there is a sense in which um, the consumer becomes also part of the production yeah 
Um, it was interesting. I was uh, um, listening to the um, so went to hear the Soweto Choir uh -huh. because we've been we've been interviewing them. Martha and I went yesterday, and it was amazing. And at the very end, they, they finished their set with Hallelujah. Uh, uh, it was fantastic. But then they invited the whole audience wow. yeah. to sing Hallelujah with them. So it was no longer a performance, yeah. but it was the whole back to what we've been talking about in one of our podcasts about about worship and the round about the yeah. dance yeah. that so often Christian Christian worship has become performance orientated in that you know you've got the bands up there yeah. and the the, the, the person singing uh -huh. they're also the writing songs that are performance orientated rather than and that creates consumers doesn't yeah. it the other side of that is it creates consumers yeah. so I'll turn up and I'll be here but I'll receive go on I'll receive. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and yeah. so what was happening in this was the, the the consumers became the performers, uh -huh. and and then the whole in in which is amazing. Looking at the, the assembly hall, everybody, almost everybody was up singing, standing, and they were all waving their hands. They were all charismatics, <laughs> saying Hallelujah! You know, yeah, because it's something from within, and it was something yeah. with it. And yeah. it, it was. And in the theatre, you talk about complicity. So you you talk about the fact that when you put on a production. You, you could put on a production with nobody watching it, but it, it wouldn't fully be what it ought to be because you, you need you need the audience and there's a, there is a complicity that an the audience exchange. there's an energy exchange and the and the audience comes in, um, you know they bring something into the room where they they, they want to to buy into the story you're telling mm. them and 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 I think I think you're right Albert I think in the church we <laughs> I don't want to don't want to slam the church but I think we we can kind of tentatively go towards this but you go to some stuff. At the theatre, I went to a production, um, Gridiron, which is a, a site-specific theatre company. So they, in other words, they go into public places and they will create a piece of theatre in that space. So they've got something on this year at Leith Academy and it's called Muster Station. Um, and the whole thing is an experiential event for the audience. So as you come in, you, it's about asylum and it's about the environmental crisis. So you, you find yourself in the in the gym hall, basically, at Leith Academy, and they've set up... Um, booths as though you were at a processing station and you're you're queuing round to get you know as if you were in an airport and you're having to yeah speak to somebody on the booth and then you're you're told to go through and then you're given a thing and then you're moved and, and the whole thing takes you into the world that they're they're the story they're trying to tell and in the best worship services i think we do that but i think so often we're, we're a wee bit afraid because we've we've gone down this track of we're on the stage and you're in the pews and one of the things yeah. I often say when I've had the probationers, training ministers, is that the notes of your sermon are the faces of the people who come to worship. Uh -huh. And if you actually don't look at people when you're pre when you're preaching or when you're that. teaching, you know, you uh -huh. you need to look to see because they bring something, and therefore that's the difference between a lecture where somebody's reading out a lecture. But preaching is completely different, different thing. and it's almost it's disengaging with, mm -hmm. and I think art is a bit is 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 like that too. Yeah. And so preaching is a bit of an art as yeah, well. Yeah, I think that's right. I, and um, somebody talks about holy theatre. Who is that? Um, you in a minute. Me, hopefully. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just claim it as mine. Okay, it's, it's the theatre director who died recently, Peter Brook. He talks about holy theatre, so he talks about the space. You know, and and, and the, the importance of the space and the importance of that complicity of people coming together. And I think we could learn a lot from that. I think one of the things that, that art still has retained that sometimes perhaps church has lost mm -hmm. um, is that art is unashamed about its 
connection with emotion. Uh-huh. You know, I, th- I think that, you know, art, you know, if something, looking at a picture, going to a theatre, listening to music, they want to provoke uh, an emotion. They're happy that an emotion has been provoked. They don't feel caught out if you say, gosh, that's very emotional. Mm-hmm. They're like, yes, that is the point. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think sometimes in, in you know, in Western in church, that's almost to to provoke or evoke emotion is almost a dirty word. Mm. Like you're somehow manipulating the congregation mm. if you've provoked an emotion in mm. them. Um, that it's all got to be cerebral. Mm. It's all about, you know, exposition of the word in terms of coming to rational, logical, aha moments. And how do we how do we bring that back into church to say, you know, there is a point of, of church that is an emotive mm-hmm. connection. Do you think we've lost that in church? What do you think? Yeah, I think we're afraid of it, aren't mm. we? And and some of that's justified. So I think emotion can be misused. So it can be mis- used to manipulate people. I, I think in, you know, years of having worked with young people, I think you need to be really careful. You know, there's a spiritual responsibility not to, to, to push young people mm-hmm. um, to make an emotional response to something if that's not the right time for them. So, so it, I, I can understand where it's come from, but yes, I, I, I do, I do think that. I think as, you know, Jesus talked about as loving God with heart, soul, mind, strength. It's, it's your whole being, mm. and, and I suppose anything that is focused on one aspect of that is is not the full whole, is it? It's so, wonky. It's wonky. It is wonky. Yeah. I, I remember um, hearing about the understanding. There's so much in the Hebrew way of being, which um, unless you've spent time in a Hebrew culture can can, mm. can kind of pass you by. And the understanding, I, I, I believe, in Hebrew is that, you know, the heart of a person encompasses all of those things mm. and they would never even consider stripping them out. Yeah. So to say to love God with all of your heart is to say with all of your spirit, with all of your strength, with all of your actions, yes. with all of your mind, and that understanding of the heart of a man being the fullness yeah. of, of somebody, man, non-gendered. Um, so I think that's interesting as yeah. well, isn't it? Is that- can I drop in this? I was listening again to the choir singing Amazing Grace yesterday. And the person who was singing it, they started to, the way they sang it, they started to hold on to the notes uh-huh. and then they started to chew, as it were, on the grace and they went over the grace and mm-hmm. they brought it back again and they, they, they repeated it and they, they explored grace in, in, in the vocal from all different angles. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about how beautiful this is because they were explaining the emotion of grace. Mm-hmm. You cannot speak of grace without emotion, Hannah. Mm-hmm. It cannot be cerebral. Mm-hmm. It is not possible. And that's the danger when we try to make the word into something that's not flesh and blood and emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's why... When we really talk about the word of God, it it's about the word becoming flesh. And we need to continually be in interpreting scripture through the eyes of Jesus. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and 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 not through the eyes of the the logistic or the the, 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 the person who's into logic. Because love in itself will always operate at the expense of logic. And I think I think that yeah I think that's absolutely right. I, th- I think as well when you respond to a piece of art, 
I think you, you know, you, you probably, well, you, I think you always need an emotional response of some sort. I think you do. But you also need a kind of critical response. These, these things are important too, aren't they? So there's a holistic response that comes when you encounter something that, that challenges you or, or entertains you or shifts your thinking and makes you delve into grace, mm -hmm. isn't there? Mm. I don't really know where I'm going with that, but you, you know, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking about your singing. Grace almost says to you, just receive it. Well, yes, but also you can appreciate the the technical skill of somebody who wants to to do that vocally. Oh, do, do you know yeah, what? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I'd like to just take you back to this um, to the fool. I think yep. there's so much in yep. that. I'm really, really interested by that because I think you've obviously started out to say you know, this, that's the cornerstone or the idea behind your your organisation. There's a real bravery in that because <laughs> I think the fool, yes, uh -huh. may not have had their head cut off, but could be not listened to, could yep. be put in the stocks, could be pelted with tomatoes. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a real bravery in stepping out and saying that I, I choose to inhabit uh -huh. that role. Do you think that role and that perspective that you're coming from has got you entry into spaces that, that not inhabiting the role of the fool would have been, they would have been closed to you? Such a good question. Uh, Yes, I think it has. I, I think, as you were asking it, I was reflecting on the fact that it, that I think also within church, <laughs> you can be misunderstood when you're... So so I, I maybe less so now, but I, I think when I was in my late 30s, early 40s, I think I spent a lot of time trying to convince people that I was... I, I, I had things to say that were quite profound and I wasn't just quite superficial all the time. Mm, you mucking about. Mucking about. yeah. I, you know, and sometimes people will, will say, you, you realise that people have not really understood what you're what you're trying to say at all. And I think, I'm thinking really deeply about this. It's not foolish when I'm planning it. But the fact that I'm making you laugh, that, that, that yeah. So there have definitely been moments where, where that's happened. I, I did do a play previously. I um, can't remember the name of it. That's terrible. Wrote it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was all set on a piece of grass. It was, it, it, basically, we, we, it was a, a, a cast of three and it was we did it in partnership with International Justice Mission, and we looked at some stories of of people who had had to fight to um, it was it was a woman in Zambia in particular who had to fight to to retain the land mm. that rightfully belonged to her. And IGM had helped her do that, and it had been a ten year process through the courts. I mean, it was a horrific story, and, and we got all this detail from IGM to work with. Um, and it, you know, you played it, you thought there is no joy in this. There's no there's no. Light relief. Light relief. <laughs> How are we going to make a French show out of this? I still can't remember the name of it. I'll come back to it. Um, and we, I think what I, what we, we worked on it collaboratively to write the piece, but, but I was the, the primary writer on it. And I think what we decided to do was to go to the completely opposite place and take it to a completely foolish place. So we told this woman's story, and still, Rona was her name, I still remember that. I pray for her sometimes, actually. Um, and we told Rona's story as though it was a children's board game. So we, we kind of created a giant board game on stage and you rolled the dice. And, mm. and the whole thing was there were two, there were two characters who were playing the, the pieces and, mm. and it was unjust. It was a completely unjust situation. Um, so every time Rona rolled the dice, she would have to move back three spaces or she would have to, you know, stand on one leg and the other character got to move on. And, 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 but we, we took the, the facts and the, 
the hard stuff of that case and we put it into something that was light. And I remember somebody coming up to me afterwards and saying that was so, she sent me an email, she said it was so helpful because um, she said, I'm really interested in just international justice, but I'm really interested in, in um, the kind of legal side of that. But you, you did something there that was so clever because I found myself laughing and then I stopped and thought, no, wait, this is somebody's story. Mm. This is somebody's real story. And, and, and the, the connection, and it's come back to the emotion thing, but the, the connection of, of being able to take people to a place where they're laughing at the ridiculousness you know, extreme ridiculousness of, I'm sorry, you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> you're just going to have to go. And then to suddenly think, wait a minute, that, that's that's the reality of that woman's life and the, and the other part of the world. Um, yeah, so so I think I think there have been moments where it, it has landed with people, but there have also been moments when it's been quite hard to convince people because there would probably be quite a lot of people who would come to see that show and, yeah, they would, they would laugh and they would understand a little bit more of the story. But what I'm always trying to do is to really challenge people deeply. And I think you get at that through the emotion, don't you? Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and I suppose, yeah, just in terms of, of performance, the thing, I mean, I, I do um, quite a lot of radio work now, so I do Thought for the Day and various other, I feel like all the religious things covered. <laughs> um, and, and that has been a, you know, you, you you turn up and sometimes my Thought for the Day, I, I do try and make it quite funny <laughs> or at least relatable, you know, because I'm thinking somebody at 7.20 in the morning brushing their teeth, they are not wanting me to, you know, go deep dive to have they want something that's going to catch them um and that yeah that has led to to more and more opportunities i suppose to mm. yeah and I, I keep seeing that i always see those as a you know god opens a door and you walk through the door and you just see what happens you turn up in time you're good at what you do you're nice to people i mean absolutely and i think that's what a... kenneth branagh says he said he was asked about acting what, what you know tips for an actor turn up in time be nice to people I think also there's something... Learn your lines. Learn your lines. Try not to fall over. <laughs> I actually do fall over quite a lot. <laughs> I think there's also something about being a bringer of joy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you said earlier about that was also part of the fool, you know, the truth, but also the joy. And I think that that's something massively underrated, yeah. that actually there's loads of spaces where... I feel that God is crying out for there to be some joy in this situation, some joy in this process, mm -hmm. some joy in this meeting. Um, and I think that's very underrated. And actually, if you try and bring joy, sometimes the gates are really closed mm -hmm. against you mm -hmm. because people feel that to, to have joy is to not treat something with respect. Mm. That really, as I would say, chaps my biscuits, really <laughs> annoys me. But it is, it's because it's a very profound thing, Joy. Mm. It's a very profound thing. And it makes me think about The Fringe again, because it, I think a lot of the comedy, some of the comedy that we have is is not particularly joyful. It might make you laugh in, a, in a cynical way. Or, you know, I think there's a real skill. People who can, who can bring joy through comedy in a way that is not hurtful to people, is not... I think Morecambe know, and Mize were great at Do you know, that. well, a bit of physical comedy, or somebody like Tim Vine. Yeah. It's just yeah. funny, 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 and he, he he's quite happy just to come and make people laugh by telling, telling Dad puns, jokes. using yeah. puns. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He's not... Try and, I, and I'm not saying there's not a place for comedy to, to, to provoke, because yeah. I think yeah. it does, but, but, you know, I think we can be... There's a cruelty that is is not... Yeah. It's not good, actually. And there's, there's a difference, isn't there, between seeking to shock, because shock, for me, is an easy emotion oh, yeah. to get to. Yeah. You can shock somebody yeah. really easily. There's a difference between shock and provoke. Yeah. And for me, to provoke is to, to hold up a mirror to a truth that is inside that person. Mm -hmm. You are provoking that person mm -hmm. to discover a truth. Yeah. To shock 
is a different thing. It's it's cheap. It's lazy, actually. I think it's lazy artistically. I do it later. Yeah. Well, you know, we've had an interesting conversation. Well, we could talk all day. We've come to the end of our podcast, but, you know, I've been thinking about, you've been talking about foolproof, and we've been thinking about, in fact, I've been thinking there that our Lord himself is the fool who made himself a fool Mm -hmm. to absorb the hatred and the pain and the sadness of the world, and he's the fool who took it upon himself in order that the proof of his love could be demonstrated on the cross. And that is the heart of what we've been trying to do and think about in our conversation today. And can I thank you, Fiona, (laughs) because it's been great having you with us. And, uh, you know, if you want to see Fiona in action, you can actually go to the Antique Shop, which is actually a film which is on the Sanctuary First site. And we'll try and and link it so that you can see it because it's a great little piece of filming. Fiona tried to practically remember her lights. (laughs) (laughs) But can I say also to Hannah, thank you for being with us and for uh, uh, sharing in this podcast because I think we've all been blessed by it too so thank you and to you the listener we are especially grateful for you taking the time to listen to these podcasts and if you've been listening to them regularly you will know that we always try to offer you the blessing as you go into your day wherever you're listening or watching this podcast from so can i say to you may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you And may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and always. Amen. Amen. Until next time, have a good day.